Welcome, everyone, to Strictly JoJo, a podcast dedicated to JoJo's bizarre adventure. My name is Courtney. This is episode 58, and we're reviewing part six, Stone Ocean Ultra Security House Unit. I knew I was going to mess that up. Ultra Security House Unit. That is a weird name for maximum security prison. As always, there'll be spoilers for this episode on anything that's happened in the JoJo anime. I'm going to call it maximum security prison or something to that effect because I will I will never get ultra security house unit correct because I feel like as a native English speaker, house should be the last word. Do you get that sense? Do, do you get tripped up like I do? Uh, I can see that. Uh- Probably just going to call it Ultra Security Weenie Hut Juniors, <laughs> as I, I use like in my better. synopsis. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I uh, I don't know. I'll just maybe call it Ultra Security or the house or the unit, but I won't get that string of words correct. But we are here talking about the episode that officially introduces us to Anasui of all characters, and I'm so fucking ready. And then not much else happens. It's a very <laughs> exposition-heavy episode. Mm-hmm. I'll give you that. I mean, yeah, it, it gives him room to, to kind of shine in his his first starring role. He's being introduced late in the game, so you got to give him, like, you know, a really good introductory episode. And honestly, I think this was a really good episode. Um, it stood out to me in a couple of different ways, but I'll get into that in a little bit when we kind of dive into the episode because first off, we do have a question from one of our patrons. And this question comes from Jesse James. They say or ask, Hi, I have a question for Strictly JoJo episode 58. In the flashback with Poochie and Dio, after Poochie rephrases his question to when little kids debate about who'd win in a fight, Dio claims Survivor is the weakest that he's come across, the weakest stand that he's come across. Excluding Holly's stand because it's self-inflicting, which stand do you think is the weakest in a fight? Hmm. Interesting. I feel like the, a lot of stands to, to yeah. draw from. <laughs> I feel like the about. default answer for a lot of people, just because it's kind of a meme at this point, is Hermit Purple, Joseph Joestar's stand. But I feel like there are other stands probably more useless or weak in a fight. I feel like Hermit Purple at least has something to offer. I mean, I feel like there are plenty of stands that do not have like combat capabilities in itself uh i think we might have mentioned last week or the the episode before that about rolling stone uh that's not really a, a an attack stand um i would say like the sun maybe from part three because it's just a, a guy that's on his computer and just has that reflective mirror it, I would say it's more of like a defense stand rather than something that really attacks. I mean, yeah, the, the sun's just beaming down on its on its enemies, but if you know where to look, then that stand is one and done. Uh, I was also thinking of Kanum from also from Part Three, which is Oingo stand. That's just him transforming his face. It doesn't have any other like strengths or capabilities beyond that. So. Yeah, I, I feel like there's, there's so many to draw from. I would say like those two are probably at the bottom of the barrel in terms of how weak they are. Yeah, you took my answer. I was gonna say Rolling Stones. Um, I think in a fight, like yeah, it's a it's a one hit kill if you touch Rolling Stones, but Rolling Stones it follows you, but it's really fucking slow. Um, so I think in a fight, I think it'd be easy to kind of dodge and get away from it. 
Um, the other one that I was thinking about, which I guess wouldn't be good in a fight in the traditional sense and like the offensive sense, but maybe on the defensive end, it's, it's a bit better. It's Pearl Jam because you could heal yourself, I guess, um, in a fight if you quickly ate the food that it was creating, but it can't do anything beyond healing. Yeah, that's just a cooking stand for, for all it's worth. I don't think it's meant to fight really. So yeah, I think while, again, a lot of people meme about Hermit Purple, there's a lot that Herm- Hermit Purple can actually do. Plus, Joseph combines it with Hamon abilities, um, and he can control it in various ways. So yeah, I feel like this is a really good question because there are other stands out there that just wouldn't wouldn't really be useful at all in a fight. One more that I was thinking of as well, um, since we are on part six, uh, would probably be... The boiling water stand um, from the uh, that Foo Fighters episode um, that we haven't gotten to, obviously, but uh, the one where she tries to escape and the boiling water like occurs inside of her because she's filled with water. I mean, can you fight with that? Maybe if you were fighting in water, otherwise it'd probably be most useful just to you know boil your water when you need to cook something. <laughs> yeah, like yeah, boiling water is a great attack but it all it does is like give you boils i guess <laughs> another one i was thinking of um from part five is i think this is formaggio stand uh little feet yeah the, the one that's just the sh- that just shrinks i don't know if you <laughs> remember that from part five i remember the shrinking stand from part six Wait, okay i'm looking here formaggio i've got the uh jojo wiki up because i I'm a little fuzzy on some of the part five stands. Oh, is that the one that was fighting Narancha? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, against uh, Aerosmith or Narancha stand Aerosmith. Interesting. Yeah, that could be um, a somewhat useless one because I guess if you used it and combined it with like the stand user smushing the person when they got really small, then it could be a good stand in a fight but just like the the core of that stand the, the concept of that stand itself i think wouldn't really offer too much in a fight well now i'm thinking goo goo dolls kind of operates in the same way doesn't it it just it shrinks its enemies yeah google dot goo goo dolls from uh part six right yeah all right yeah i'm also on the wiki it says goo goo dolls abilities are similar to formaggio's little feet in part five uh, so yeah, I guess they're both similarly weak in that sense that they're just shrinking stands. Although the difference was Goo Goo Dolls actually attacked Jolene when she got uh, smaller. Like it has mm. claws and it has like fangs and stuff. So it seems like it, it does shrink, but also could attack somebody if need be. So I feel like Goo Goo Dolls would probably be more useful than Formaggio stand. What was that one again? Uh, little Feet. Little Feet, yeah. The other one, sorry, because we're on the page right now. The other one I think might be useless with not having the right stand user might be Manhattan Transfer because it helps to guide um, John Gallier's bullets. But if you don't have a gun, then what the fuck do you do with it? That's true. Yeah, you'd have to have a projectile in hand. But I guess, yeah, specifically a, a bullet 
or gun with a bullet. It'd be different if it was like Emperor, which where the stand was also the gun. Um, if it was like a combo stand of like the Manhattan transfer little airplane thing or drone plus like a gun as well. But no, all of John Gallier's guns, I think, were physical guns. So yeah, I think that one could be pretty useless as well. And I'm thinking of, you know, there there are so many like weak <laughs> stands. Uh, burning down the house, Emporio stand, it's just the like that room itself or that dimension that Emporio works in, which reminds you of uh, a Polnareff uh, stand, the turtle stand. Uh, Mr. President, I think it was oh, called. It was just that it's the, the room. The room. <laughs> yeah, like those aren't those are just rooms. They they have no attack capabilities itself. So, yeah, I guess we should probably pick one that we think is the weakest out of <laughs> all of the ones that we are suggesting. Yeah, that's such a good question because like it's it's easy to ask like what's the weakest stand in general, but Jesse James is asking like weakest in a fight. Because you can you can argue that certain stands have certain strengths, um, but yeah, if you're talking about in a fight, some of these stands would be completely useless. So if I'm gonna have to pick one, um, oh god, let me think really quick. Hmm, I'm gonna have to go with Kanum, Oingo stand from Part Three. Just changing your face. I mean, in a in a fight, you're. I mean, someone's gonna be looking at you. They're gonna see you, and they're gonna know that you changed your face. I think I'm going to go with Mr. President from part five, which is just the, the room. And I'm looking at the, the stand chart for it. And you know, most of its categories, it's ranked E except for in durability. So I guess it's not weak in that sense. But I, like if, if you were to like take a hammer and just smash the turtle shell or that gemstone or whatever, uh, then, then that's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think those are, are good ones. I think uh, we can argue in a fight, both of those would be pretty weak, pretty fucking useless. Thank you, Jesse James, for the question. You always ask the most thought-provoking questions, and this one really kind of got me thinking. We had to pause multiple times to look at these the, the list of stands and figure out like what really is weak in a fight, but we, we came up with a good number of them. All right, so on to the episode itself. Again, Anasui's introductory episode. I'm so hyped about this. We even have, and I know this is kind of a me jumping ahead, but we even have an iconic pose in this episode. We haven't had one in quite a bit, so I'm excited to talk about that. Um, but I think one of the best parts about this episode is how fucking gorgeous it looks. They really amped up the production quality for Anasui's intro episode. And this comes off like the comes off of the uh, the heels of us talking about how part one, the first core of part six, had a lot of um, you know questionable animation. Like you could tell that something wasn't right with the production schedule or whatever was going on behind the scenes with David production, um, and that part two brought much better animation, not for every single episode, but for the majority of them, and of that batch of good looking episodes i would say this is one of the best yeah i think i was seeing like memes online about how david production must really love anasui because yeah he i'll admit he looked he looked good in this episode and especially with how intricate his whole getup, his his whole outfit is um i, I feel like the, the pose you're talking about is when he's kicking the door um, but even that, there's something that just looked clean about that. 
And I think the the cherry on top is that the voice actor, the Japanese voice actor for Anasui is uh, Daisuke Namikawa, who we know as the voice of Hisoka from Hunter x Hunter. Uh, very, very iconic voice in, in that show um, and does a great job with this. I think he's also, I know you're watching Black Clover. He's the voice of Jack the Ripper, whoever that character is. Uh, yes. I haven't gotten there yet. Oh, well. <laughs> but no, I, I didn't see that. I saw that. <laughs> okay. Yeah. He is the voice of Jack the Ripper. At least I don't think I got there yet. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, like it's so weird because I feel like there are been, there've been two very eccentric characters that we've seen in part six. The first, I will say is at least of the prison posse, the two eccentric characters, the first was weather report and now you have Anasui and I just I I wonder why you love Anasui so much he's he's a again he's a quirky character but sometimes he he gives similar creeper vibes uh, that I get from like Hisoka (laughs) I don't know maybe that's why no so I I really enjoy Anasui um, and it, as always, I, I have read the part six manga, so his character development is really, really good without, you know, spoiling with anything specific. Um, but what I really enjoy about Anasui is that of the characters in part six, um, especially with the the Joe bros, he has this level of confidence that um, is unmatched. And I think you get that sense immediately with this episode. There's something about Anasui where you you can't quite trust him but you always should trust him because he's incredibly intelligent um he's incredibly dedicated to jolene um and as we see throughout the second core there are moments where you feel like oh shit maybe he's not for anybody else other than jolene especially when emporio warns foo fighters in this episode oh he can't be trusted he's a murderer he doesn't help anybody he's self-centered and yet time and time again, just in the second core, he helps others. Like when um, he's willing to sacrifice his body for Foo Fighters, not even saying Foo Fighters heal me so I can save Jolene. He's like, take over my body. Do whatever you need to do to make sure that Jolene is protected and safe, even if it means I die. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of moments that are really impressive with Anasui. And I just think it's so fucking funny and so entertaining how much he adores and loves Jolene. I know it comes off as a creeper thing, especially because he, he comes off so strong with that in the beginning. But um, again, I, I don't want to say anything specific, but as Jolene has more time to interact with Anasui, there's some really great moments that happen. Um, and I'm, I'm excited for the next core and for everyone to see that. And I think a lot of people will hopefully um, enjoy Anasui more as we learn more about him. But I get it. Like I get people can be off put by him a little bit because he's so overly confident, um, especially in these initial episodes. Um, so yeah, it's going to take a lot of time, I think, for people to warm up to him. But I, I feel like people will see um, why I like him so much. I still love Weather Report the best. I think Weather Report is, is fucking great, but Anasui is, is a close second. Yeah, I mean, this episode, you kind of see that, that cockiness in him when he kick, he kicks down that door and then it uh, diver down affects the uh, prison guards that are behind it. And I think in a couple episodes, he just like saunters into 
uh, ultra security weenie house juniors like like nothing happened so i like that you know with uh foo fighters and emporio they're trying to strategize how to get to that that unit and he just he just walks in like 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 it's nothing special and so that that part of him i i can kind of appreciate it's just weird that he has this this longing or this infatuation with jolene when the last time we saw him in part six he had looked at her in emporio's room and then just walked out walked away right yeah that that was kind of strange and maybe it was him just still trying to observe her um or get to know her but he said that he fell in love with her at first sight or whatever um and that her resolve and everything is very attractive to him which again makes sense like it's kind of like jotaro right like he's strong and he responds well to strength well anasui is confident um and he responds well to other confidence and jolene's confidence around her goal and her resolve to save jotaro i think maybe is what what hooked him mm-hmm. so yeah lots of lots of anasui in this episode but if we haven't think we've used this in a while this this uh phrase i i think it was still a bit of a transitional episode because yeah you have all of the stuff with Anasui but I think the other focus of this episode is is with the stand survivor and just getting the, the backstory of the stand and just seeing it in action but it's not as um, not as engaging as as you would normally see with a, a enemy stand user uh, plus <laughs> you have a, a plain episode title such as ultra security house unit in comparison to the, the two episodes we've just seen uh kiss of love and revenge and yeah this one like it still moves the story forward but it's i would say overall it's not as exciting as everything else that happens yeah i haven't said this phrase in a while um a lot happens but not a lot happens because we get quite a number mm. of flashbacks we get the flashback to Poochie and Sportsmax. We get multiple flashback, right? Multiple or at least one flashback of Poochie and Dio. Yeah, after um, the half, the episode half. And then if you think about present day, literally it's just Foo Fighters talking to Anasui and them going downstairs. And then on Jolene's end, yeah. it's literally her getting blasted with water and then people start fighting. So like, again, not a lot happens in current day, but you get a lot of information. But Two more quick things about Anasui. Um, one, with his confidence. I think you need that character in the group because everyone in the Joe Bros, like, panics. Like, Emporio's constantly nervous. Jolene's always freaking out about something. Foo Fighter's always freaking about freaking out about something. Same with Hermes. Weather Report's pretty chill, I guess, but he hasn't been around in a while. It's kind of like the um, like the Avdol and the Kakyoin of the group. You know, mm-hmm. he needs, like, That's true. that level setting. Um, and then also, going back to the voice actors, uh, so the Anasui's voice actor, as Carl mentioned, voiced Hisoka. And what's interesting is that Maria Ise voices Foo Fighters. So it's like you've got Kilua. Right, yeah. <laughs> you've got Kilua and Hisoka coming back together because they, they interact quite a lot in the second core. All we would need is uh, Megumi Han, who does the voice of uh, Gon. <laughs> if she had a starring role in, in JoJo, especially in part six, you could have that trifecta together. But I don't think she's voiced anything in JoJo. As a music person, um, I don't know. I think we still need to confirm if it's Anasui's quote-unquote theme song. But what do you think about that song that comes up when they introduce Anasui? And pretty much only plays when he's on screen. Honestly, I didn't 
start listening to it until you mentioned it the first time we watched through these episodes. And uh, the second watch through, I did pay a little bit more attention. Uh, it's an interesting melody because it sounds like a it has like a blend of slightly Middle Eastern or, or Mediterranean sounds or like yeah melody or, or rhythm and it's mixed in with like with Jolene's theme has that jazzy sort of vibe and also like kind of 80s synthesizer vibe so it in a way it kind of reminded me of something that you would hear from part three but it definitely gives off that mystery and ambiguity around Anasui's character yeah, I agree. It has like this sultry, suave, mysterious vibe to it. And it is a perfect match for Anasui. Like, I, I like the song itself. I wouldn't say it's my favorite theme, but I love how well it matches his character. It's the same reaction I get with Poochie's theme. I think Poochie's theme is absolute perfection for that character. Every time it comes on, it's mm -hmm. like creepy, it's eerie, it's like grand. It just feels like as grand as his mission to find heaven or whatever. It is just a perfect match to that character. So um, props to the team for picking or, or creating a song that just matches Anasui so well. Yeah, that would be Yugo Kano, who is continuing to compose for JoJo. Uh, Puji seems that's the one where it's like, it's the the haunting organ. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it feels like it could go hand in hand with how creepy and just uh, sinister Dio's theme is, but with that religious sort of setting to it, because of course Pucci is a is a priest in the prison. So, but all right, dear listeners, it's time to whip up those marriage proposals as we diver down into our synopsis and discussion for part six. Episode 15, Ultra Security House Unit. After a brief flashback where Sportsmax reports back to Whitesnake regarding his failed science project with Dio's boner, Foo Fighters and Emporio listen in on Sportsmax's soul album and learn that Whitesnake is scheming to pull an Evanescence and bring Dio's boner to life. Hence why Jolene willingly got incarcerated in Ultra Security Weenie Hut Juniors to implement Operation Boner Breaker and take back Daddy Jotaro's own soul album. The prison posse pair persevere in persuading a prison peer by the name of Anasui for their participation, but the fashionable felon only agrees under the condition that he may take the juvenile Jojo's hand in marriage after all is said and done. Anasui demonstrates the capabilities of his stand, Diver Down, which can mess around with objects from the inside. And judging from his infatuation with Jolene, I'm sure he seeks to demonstrate how he can dive her down and mess around in her insides. Meanwhile, in slightly unholier pursuits, Poochigang seeks four more of his sinister stand subordinates to mess with Jolene's Operation Boner Breaker, one of whom wields the unbiased and uncontrollable stand Survivor, which dials Ultra Security Weenie Hut Jr.'s testosterone levels up to 11 and causes one prison guard to open up all its cells for a Brawl Star battle. And now onto our next segment of the show, is that a music and or fashion reference where we document any and all nods, homages, and tributes that this extraordinary anime makes to the ordinary world of music and or fashion. And we have quite a mix for this one after the absence of references in the previous episode. So to start off, we have again, Courtney's favorite character in this episode, Narciso Anasui, 
I know the the the, the local dub calls him Anastasia, but we're gonna go with Anasui I as refuse. we have. I refuse. I'm sorry, Anastasia. <laughs> I absolutely refuse. Mm. <laughs> so with uh, Anasui, you have two fashion references in his name. The first is with Narciso Rodriguez, an American fashion designer known for designing the wedding dress for John F. Kennedy Jr.'s wife in 1996. And with his last name, Anasui, that is in reference to Anasui, I guess, or Anasui, an American fashion designer named as one of the top five fashion icons of the decade by Time magazine and known for creating contemporary original clothing inspired by spectacular amounts of research into vintage styles and cultural arcana. The second reference is in relation to Anasui, which is with his stand, Diver Down. This is a musical reference to Diver Down, the fifth studio album by American rock band Van Halen, which contains mostly covers of such songs as Pretty Woman and Dancing in the Street. Another music reference we have in this episode is with the enemy stand Survivor, which I think is the stand for Guccio, who is introduced in the later episode, or I don't know if we'll, we'll call him Gucci. But anyways, that stand's name is in reference to Survivor, the name of an American rock band formed in Chicago in 1978, and I did not know that, as well as the name of their debut album. I think Survivor is best known for their double platinum certified 1982 hit, Eye of the Tiger, which was first used as the theme for the boxing drama film Rocky III, released in the same year. I also did not know that. I just thought that was used in the first Rocky film. Disclaimer, I haven't seen any of the Rocky films at all. (laughs) Neither have I. And last reference is actually with that prison guard, which I mentioned before looks like a discount Giorno. He does have a name. It's Sonny Lakir. And this name is a reference to Sonia Riquel, a French fashion designer dubbed the Queen of Knits for her knitwear designs and related fashion techniques. Interesting. Do they ever say his name? I don't think they do, right? No, not in this episode, I noticed, or in the previous ones, of course, but I was just doing some research and finally stumbled across his name. So, yeah, he's only (laughs) related to Giorno in in hairstyle. (laughs) Well, now it's time for the JoJo meme rundown, where we list each new JoJo meme that appeared in this episode. I don't have any, um, but I do have, as I mentioned earlier, an iconic JoJo pose, which is a recent um, or newly added mini segment here on Strictly JoJo, because there are a lot of iconic poses out there, um, just not in every single episode. But this one does have an iconic pose, and it's Anasui's, I guess, introductory pose right after Diver Down takes out those security guards. It's, uh, it, we'll, we'll drop a, a screenshot of this pose in the discord so if you're not a member of the discord uh link to that is in the description but anasui is standing there with diver down sort of kind of like intertwined with him and he's got his arm across his face almost like not like sniffing his armpit but like you can't see half his face because it's covered by his arm and i think that's a, a pretty iconic pose for anasui he does have another one that's a little more iconic where it does look like he's sniffing his armpit you see it a lot in promotional images but uh, for this episode, that's the iconic pose. So he is phasing through Anasui. I think that confused me at first when I was looking at the the pose. 
Yeah, because Diver Down can like enter people and objects um, and rearrange what's going on in them. <laughs> it's like a like a video game character that you know clips through something. Yeah, <laughs> basically. Um, but you do also see this pose, I think, in like some of the video games. So I, I wonder, it might be in uh, the newest game, JoJo All-Star Battle R. I know it was in um, Eyes of Heaven. So yeah, it is one of Anasui's signature poses. So on to the episode. Um, again, there's a lot of exposition here. So we'll kind of break it down with uh, each chunk of information that's presented. So right in the beginning of this episode, you have the first flashback to, again, Pucci talking to Sports Max explaining that there are a limited number of souls on earth and there are more humans than than we need so there's less room for other organisms um and then he kind of gets interrupted by sports max because sports max doesn't really understand what he's talking about so pushy doesn't go into more detail than that and you'll find throughout part six that this concept of heaven is at least i think is kind of complex it's kind of convoluted but every time you get a flashback um, of Pucci and Dio, or you get Pucci kind of reflecting on what's going on. They give you little, like little bits of information. It's kind of like that breadcrumb trail, essentially, until you finally have enough information to put the whole puzzle together. So there is a clear definition of what Pucci means by getting to heaven. By attaining heaven, yes, if I remember correctly, that was one of the more confusing parts about Part Six. There's a couple of aspects of part six that are pretty confusing but i feel like once we've gotten the third core um i think we'll maybe in the last few episodes that we review we may do like a breakdown of like what is heaven what do we interpret heaven as being what is Pucci's goal what was dio's original goal um so it's it's kind of hard to talk through that right now because again you're only getting bits and pieces of the information um but we'll eventually get to a point where there's enough information to kind of grasp this concept. Interesting. Because I was thinking this whole time that Pucci's just talking about like the perfect being as, as that, that attainable thing that will allow you to get to heaven. And he sees that in Dio, which is why he's going through this whole song and dance to resurrect Dio. But I'll have to keep an eye out more for, the, the conversations that are brought up about heaven with it between Pucci and other characters or between Pucci and Dio. Without spoiling anything really from the manga, I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, the idea of heaven is not the traditional sense uh, or the, the traditional concept of heaven. So just like keep not that in the, mind. Not the pearly gates or... Right. Like it, it has a similar vibe to that, but it's not a one for one. So that's the most that I'll say. I think that might help in trying to wrap your head around this concept. But honestly, even after reading the manga, I was like, what? And I will do a lot of research around what the fuck Pucci and Dio were talking about. But again, there'll be more, a lot more information shared in the third core. So in this flashback again, um, we also get uh, the concept of reviving the bone, Dio's bone using Limp Biscuit. And my initial thought when I first watched this was like, that's only gonna revive the bone itself based on what we learned about Limp Biscuit in the last two episodes. And then Sportsmax kind of confirms that exact same thing. But somehow the bone can bite White Snake. Like, I don't understand how that's possible without a mouth, but it does it. It did it. Hmm. Okay. So now I understand now why the bone is moving. It's because um, Sportsmax used 
limp biscuit on it and that's why it's moving on its own but like uh, how is it moving you know what i mean because if you mm. think about the alligator right or the crocodile i know we <laughs> i keep going back and forth on this Wh- whatever it is you think about that animal limp biscuit activated that animal because it had its complete corpse so when jolene splashes it with blood you can see the full alligator slash crocodile right so Mm -hmm. if all of dio's body is destroyed i mean completely non-existent except for this bone wouldn't in theory and again this is why limp biscuit is so fucking confusing wouldn't in theory it just be able to revive just the bone and if it's just the bone how is it biting people how is it moving on its own yeah i was gonna say it probably follows zombie logic where like a zombie can still move around even if it doesn't have a um all its body parts together (laughs) i can't explain the biting thing other than it like the bone itself is a zombie too and has that capability i don't know man that's a stretch for me (laughs) like at least even if a zombie is missing like one leg it still has two arms to crawl with right like there's still some physical functionality to the zombie body to allow it to to do what it does right um even if the head is gone if it somehow is still alive, it still has limbs to continue moving. This is a freaking bone. (laughs) So I'm like, how is it moving? How is it biting white snake? I don't think we'll ever get that answer because we've already seen what happens to the bone, um, but we don't see anything else about it. So I think this is just like Limp Biscuit itself. This is just one of those things we're going to have to accept and move on. Yeah. Oh, we can say it was just the catalyst for Dio's eventual resurrection. In the next scene, we're back in present day. Um, And this is where Emporio and Foo Fighters talk about how to break Jolene out of the house. (laughs) Ultra security weenie. I was going to try and then I stopped myself. I'm like, I'm not even going to attempt that. Out of the house. Um, And Emporio explains that he can't even access it because it's a separate building from the rest of the complex. So I think Emporio can only travel through like the halls and doorways and, and walls that connect within this this complex. Um, but because there's no access except for the road, there's not even like a hidden passage, Emporio cannot make his way there outside of normal means, which is literally driving there or whatever. What about a sewer? Um, wouldn't, uh, like, wouldn't the prison complex be connected through sewers? It must be because they spray water everywhere. And where's that water going to go? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I don't know. That's a good question. But I doubt Emporio wants to take everyone through the through the poop. Go Shawshank style. I didn't, I didn't watch that <laughs> one. I never wa- oh, okay. Well, that was Did they wade through a, like poop and pee? It's a, it's a bit of a spoiler. But yeah, there's a scene where a character kind of wades through a sewage pipe. Oh, well, they already had that concept with... Uh, Sports Max. <laughs> yeah, maybe they took through it a from. Pipe. <laughs> yeah, maybe they took it from Shawshank Redemption with that. Emporio also explains to Foo Fighters, um, because Foo Fighters is like, well, what about this dude? She she's like, okay, we can't get there on our own. I'm not like, because it's in the the male ward, so it's already hard enough for Foo Fighters to get access to the male ward, but then to also get access to this whole separate building. She's like, what about this dude? He's been standing here doing fucking standing nothing there here, menacing. Yeah, he's little bit literally been in this room, <laughs> be like no help at all whatsoever. Make him do some fucking work. And Emporio explains that honestly, he can't be counted on. Won't cooperate with anybody. Doesn't help others out is a murderer, um, grew up with this urge to disassemble everything. 
ends up disassembling his girlfriend and the dude that yeah, he caught her cheating with. And this is branded a murderer. And that only weather report can keep Anasui under control. And I keep How thinking, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it would, it would be opposite, opposite. Like Anasui would keep weather report under control. I know because weather report is so subdued. Like mm-hmm. he's just he's just there. He's just happy to be there, right? Um, so I keep thinking to myself, how the fuck did Anasui come to hang out with Emporio? Like, how mm-hmm. did he end up as part of Emporio's group? Like, Emporio's group is Emporio, Weather Report, and Anasui. That's the original trio. So, like, mm-hmm. how the fuck did Anasui get get involved with Emporio and all the shit that's going on? Wait, who did you say was the original trio? Emporio, Weather Report, and Anasui. Before oh. Jolene meets Emporio, that's like Whoa. the three of them had already known each other. Maybe it was it was through Weather Report since apparently he's the only one to keep him under control. Like he probably like Weather Report probably brought Anasui as his his quote unquote lackey. Yeah, I could see that. I'd love to know the backstory between Emporio Weather Report and Anasui, but um, you know, I don't know if we ever really get that. So yeah, I just I'm like, how the fuck did this group even come together? But despite Emporio saying all of these things to Foo Fighters, Anasui literally turns around and it's like, nah, I'll help you. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, he looks like he doesn't want to be a part of it at first, and then, yeah, that was just his poker face, I guess. He's smooth and confident. That's how he is. And his ass cheeks are hanging out of his skirt. Like when when Foo, there's that one shot of Foo Fighters where she's talking to Emporio, and the angle is like Foo Fighters further down, so that right behind her is Anasui's ass cheek. <laughs> and I can't, mm. I can't get over it. I will also drop a screenshot of Anasui's ass cheek um, right behind Foo Fighters in the Discord because I think it's just such a funny, like, moment. It's it's gone in a flash, but it's there. So Anasui then agrees to help Jolene or help Foo Fighters protect Jolene. And as he's leaving Emporio's room and walking down the stairs, he says, "I'll protect Jolene. I fell in love with her the moment I laid eyes on her." And I'm going to marry her. And I just... Then he asks Foo Fighters for her blessing. And I love Foo Fighters' reaction. Because she's like, what? What the fuck (laughs) is going on? She like looks at Emporio like, wait, what? (laughs) She's completely dumbfounded. And honestly, I would react the same way if this guy who Emporio told me is like a murderer and won't help anybody, is like, oh, actually, I'm in love with your friend. I'm going to marry her, and I need your blessing. Oh, no, you you don't ask them for their blessing. You got to ask Jotaro. <laughs> who <laughs> well, knows he's in a coma right now. Yeah, so. <laughs> who knows if he'll agree to it unless he 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 likes Anasui. <laughs> Probably would, right? He's, he responds to strength. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. <laughs> um, but right now, all he's got is Foo Fighters, so I guess that's that's what he's going with. I'm actually surprised he didn't ask Emporio. Like, why Foo Fighters of all people? Maybe because Hermes wasn't there. Emporio's just just a kid. Yeah, right? that's true. <laughs> Although he, I would say he's the closest to Jolene out of the two. Uh, well, no, maybe I think not. Foo Fighters. Yeah, is Foo closer. Fighters. Yeah, I would say they get, they got closer. <laughs> I wonder what honestly would do if Foo Fighters said yes, because he's like, I cannot marry her unless you give your blessing. And so I, I just want to, like, in an alternate reality, what would happen if Foo Fighters were like, okay, fine, I agree, If as long as you protect Jolene. And, like, what, what would he do then? Would he marry her on the spot? I don't know. But either way, it's I love their first interaction in the next episode, and I can't wait to talk about that. And then at the halfway point of the episode, of course, we have the eye catch with the stand stats for Survivor. So not Diver Dumb, uh, but... Yeah, stand name survivor, stand master, who we haven't met yet, is Gucho. 
And we have here destructive power at E, speed at E, range at E, durability at C, precision and accuracy at E, and development potential at E. So as we're about to find out, it's very clear that the stand is very weak and I guess doesn't have much going for it uh, besides the fact that it's durable. I mean, it doesn't really have any attacks. It just initiates people's propensity to attack. And it's interesting that they timed it this way because it's not until after the eye catch that they actually introduce Survivor. So you're, you're seeing this eye catch for a stand. And you're like, what the fuck is that? And then we uh, we come back from the commercial break. And that's when we enter the second flashback of the episode where it's Poochie talking to Dio 20 plus years ago. And Poochie asks which stand Dio felt was the weakest or most useless. And again, I think the classic answer, the memed answer is Hermit Purple. Um, I was half expecting Dio to say that. How fucking funny would it be, right? Like a jab at Joseph yeah. Joestar. <laughs> I mean, around that time, he would probably be in conflict with the Stardust Crusaders. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, there's this asshole who keeps trying to track me down, and his stand sucks. Um, He's a camera to use it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then Dio explains that he believes it's Survivor, which is, in a nutshell, a passive stand that, as you explained, causes people to go berserk and attack each other until they die. Like, that's the best way I can kind of sum it up. Um, Survivor needs water because it passes through, like, an electrical current. So that can be pretty limiting for that stand. Like, if there's not water around, how can Survivor reach other victims? How um, can it survive? Yeah. <laughs> and Survivor can't do anything except awaken a victim's anger. It can't even tell friend from foe. So you can't really control it. So, yeah, it's I, I could see Dio's point of, you know, is this the most useless stand? It depends. It depends on the circumstances. I think in this sense, for Poochie, the circumstances, the cards, the stars, I think I meant, are all aligned here, mm -hmm. where Survivor can and does act the way he needs it to um, in order to, in his eyes, hopefully get rid of Jolene. Yeah, well, better way to use Survivor than in the ultra security weenie hut juniors that houses all of the most dangerous convicts in the prison i know <laughs> i guess it's uh uh convenient for poochie because it probably gets rid of a lot of headaches for him because he's getting rid of other people that he gave stands to versus having to like hunt them down for their stands um or get the disc back from them but anyway when we make our way back to present day um and we see jolene in her stand stand in her cell, um, she is eating mushrooms that are growing in her cell in order to survive and hasn't seen light in so long. So when the guards open the door and flash that light in her face, she freaks out. And those little moments are important again because as Emporio said in the beginning of this episode, Jolene intentionally put herself in this, this house, in this unit, the worst place you could probably be in this entire prison. Um, and she did that because that's what she needs to do to achieve her goal. So she's going through some major hell right now in order to save her father. So then the guards soak her in water, leaving water all over the floor, allowing Survivor to activate. And this is the start of some really brutal animation. You already have a decent amount of brutality in this episode, seeing how like graphic some of these fights are and, and all of the gore and everything. Um, you get way more of that in the next episode as those fights continue. And I'm honestly 
very glad that Netflix didn't censor it. Even though it's it's rough to watch some of these things, especially the fucking toenail part from the next episode, mm. I, I enjoy that Netflix did not censor it. I very much appreciate it because it is kind of off-putting with some of the other parts where there's big black splotches over like some of these things that are happening. It's it just it kind of takes you out of the moment when that weird censorship pops up. Yeah, I mean Netflix, I think it has content that is like definitely for mature audiences. So in that sense it's it's great as a platform that you will you get the explicit version of these shows whereas like on, on Crunchyroll it will censor it out with that like black space sometimes um so yeah this part with uh survivor activating and then you have the prison guards uh fighting against each other you have all the bone crunching and the gore even with the going back to the flashback uh from dio where he's explaining how survivor was the the cause of like this hiking trip accident even then you have all the images of of body parts and and the brutality of the hikers fighting each other there. Uh, and actually, I wanted to ask, did the stand, the stand passed on to someone else? Because it was originally the uh, the lodge owner, right? Pucci in the flashback asks Dio if he can have Survivor. Meaning, like, can I g- grab it in a disc? So I don't know if, like, Dio had access to the lodge owner Mm. or like if he said yeah Pooch, you can go ahead and like take that stand from him but he he basically asked dio for that stand for his collection and dio says okay Okay. so i don't know what that means but so yeah it's not that gucci gucci was the original owner it came like he he wasn't the lodge owner it was most likely the stand disc transferred from that owner to gucci at some point that's my understanding yeah okay also did compact discs exist back then in the in the 80s <laughs> oh let's go right? when were That's cds a, invented anachronism at its finest compact discs oh okay, wait no they were introduced in uh at the time of the technology's introduction in 1982 so, yeah, which is when that flashback takes place 82, okay right well, oh no, no no sorry i'm jumping ahead dio does say 1982 but i think he's referring to when that fight happened at the lodge Yes. So this is a, a few years after that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I have it in my notes. 1982 in Lorraine, France. So, okay, compact discs did exist at that time. So then, that means Pucci couldn't have gotten his stand until 1982. Otherwise, how the fuck does he have a stand that uses CDs before that time? Yeah, <laughs> unless the stand evolved from. It originally used like cassette tapes or floppy disks, or uh, <laughs> what was that? Laser di- was it laser disks? That ex- I think those were Betamax. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So the fight sort of ensues between these two guards. They start punching each other so fast that I'm surprised they didn't start screaming "ora ora" and "muda muda." And then it kind of cuts off because Pucci reveals that he sent four stand users in total to that maximum security ward house, whatever. And um, I keep thinking, because then they like open up the, the doors, right? And all these prisoners come out. And I feel like you have to throw that meme away. The the meme, the classic meme of, oh, the stand user could be anyone. And the stand user looks wild. Yeah. Because here, everyone in this prison <laughs> looks like a fucking stand user. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Like, all of them dress like an enemy stand user. So how you can figure that out, I have no fucking idea. I was thinking of that too, 
when we watched this again for the second time. And it kind of makes sense. Like, these are supposed to be the most dangerous prisoners in the prison. So why not make them the most eccentric-looking people? Quick note is, I actually noticed this, too, uh, during the prison guard fight, as Jolene's observing the, the, the guards fight each other. You know, like, JoJo usually... Or, uh, yeah, the, the series usually does, like, the inverted colors uh, when, like, dramatic moments are happening. The inverted colors for Jolene are actually very similar to the figure that we got uh, for All-Star Battle R. With pink hair? I think it was pink hair and her outfit was blue. I That's somewhat common, right? Like, sometimes the inverted colors sometimes show like what the manga colors would have been because i'm pretty sure the pink hair comes from some of the manga images but i thought the manga her hair was like blue and light green uh oh like some of the like, like the key imagery not like in the manga itself but there's some um stone ocean key imagery you know how like Iraqi will have like gorgeous shots of, of characters and whatnot. Mm. Some of them feature Jolene's hair is blue and pink. Okay. But yeah, I was I just made that observation just because we, we have that figure from the All Star Battle R special edition that you purchased. Uh the other note I wanted to make is with uh, the Bible verse that Pucci uh, recites, uh, he quotes Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, if I remember my CCD lessons correctly. Uh, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. So this is actually a quotation that comes from Jesus in the Bible when he was doing his Sermon on the Mount for any of you Bible enthusiasts. Um, that was providing insight into his moral teachings. But with Pucci, I think it's him trying to distance himself from those that are kind of are deemed unworthy of heaven by kind of twisting the meaning of this this verse. Whereas I think originally it was like Jesus want, wanted like his followers to to not use their talents for for wrong but here i feel like do not give what is holy to the dogs is kind of like him putting using survivor to put all these prisoners in a free-for-all is like him getting to get rid of everything to put all the plans in place to revive dio interesting i was wondering why he was saying that i kind of had like an idea but that makes more sense than what i was thinking so yeah Jojo can offer Bible study lessons if if you want to <laughs> mix those two together. Everything is a Jojo reference, yeah. including the Bible. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And that brings us to our final thoughts for part six, episode 15, Ultra Security House Unit. So did this episode leave you with a sense of ultra security? Uh, <laughs> no, yes, I don't know. <laughs> it's a great episode. I Again, I think it is one of the most beautifully animated episodes we have gotten so far in part six. Even the smallest moments, like after Anasui kicks the door with Diver down and he kind of hops backwards, just the fluidness of those motions or him walking down the stairs and his hair sort of bouncing as he's walking. I'm like, my God, 
David Production must love Anasui. Like they, they are, have, yeah, they have a clear favorite. Yeah, like they they love him. They made him look absolutely phenomenal in um in the anime. I actually thought in the manga he looks okay, but in the anime he looks so good. Um, and I, I just think that this episode offered a lot with maybe less action than we're than we're used to, especially with the high intensity that typically is offered in part six. We get the backstory or additional information about heaven and that whole concept. Um, we get to learn a little bit more about Pucci and Dio's, you know, relationship and the type of things that they talked about. Um, and I think this episode overall, while it is maybe more transitional, sets us up for like, go, go, go. Pretty much for the rest of the second core. Unless I'm forgetting something. I feel like once Anasui is introduced, it's the fight at, at the security house. It's the fucking swamps. It's fucking Foo Fighters, right? Like You go, go, go until maybe the last few episodes when Emporio and Jolene lose their memories. So like w w this is a nice breather that we're going to get for a second here because after that, it's it's high intensity for the majority of this core. But what about you? Yeah, I think you're right because you have the, the with the guard. I think Westwood his name um, that takes up next episode, and then you have the confusing as shit uh, fight with um, the dragon. Was oh my it? god, <laughs> that's gonna be fun to talk about. Yeah, let me tell you, I'm warning you right now. That was the one part in the manga that confused me the most, and it isn't a lot better in the end. <laughs> I'm still pretty confused. We'll 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 muster through that together when we get to that part. But yeah, in terms of this episode, I'll, I'll say it again. It was just, it felt transitional. And for those of you who don't know, like I use the word transitional a lot for JoJo episodes because I don't consider many JoJo episodes to be filler. But in this case, it's it it, it has context, important context, especially with introducing Anasui because you can't treat Anasui as filler, of course. Uh, and it, in that regard, it was it was a treat to see his introduction, especially his eccentric fashion getup. Although his, I I know we didn't really talk about it. his stand capabilities were a bit confusing at first until I realized it's a diver down can store energy into like the objects that it can phase through, and that's why there's that delayed kick into the prison guards. Yeah, I think the core of Diver Down is rearranging things um, to be something else. If you think about fucking, who has Survivor? Gucci? Gucci, yeah. Yeah, so when Gucci has his bone structure rearranged, it also kind of like, right. something needs to activate it, right? That's that, I think that's that energy, that sort of energy that you're talking about. So when he touches the other dude, Dolce & Gabbana, it's like he, it, the energy activates and like his bone structure just fucks up. The other dude? Dolce & Gabbana. Because remember, his like ribs come out and like latch onto Dolce & Gabbana's arm. And then Dolce & Gabbana starts like freaking out. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> You'll <laughs> that, remember when we get yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's a lot that was going on in the next couple episodes. Uh, but yeah, honestly, it was the highlight for this one. Uh, but with Survivor being the quote-unquote enemy stand of the week, uh, this episode felt more... Like a, like a catalyst to the events that are to come rather than Survivor being the true antagonist because it, that's, it just seems like it's only meant to set up the fight club for these following episodes that show the true enemy stand users or the true assassins of Pucci who are after Jolene. 
So all in all, this episode, it's literally getting from prison point A to prison point B. But I think it's it's enough to prepare for the Brawl Star battle that's about to come. Brawl Star Battle R. Yeah, as I said earlier, Foo Fighters and Porio and Anasui literally just walk down the stairs. That's that's the most physical progression they make in this episode. Uh, but it has a lot of other things to offer, and I'm just so glad that we can finally talk about Anasui. I kept I kept hinting at him during the first core and talking about like just wait till Anasui gets introduced. Just wait until we can talk about him. So I am very excited to talk more about him and his relationship with Jolene and the other characters. And I can't wait for the third core for when Weather Report comes back because he's like absent this whole time. My favorite character is so absent in the second core. Yeah, he shows up, but it, it it's not actually Weather Report. So yeah. that was kind of sad, but. Well, for now, we'll we'll make do with Anasui. He's got plenty to offer and I'm so happy that he's here. And thank you everyone for listening to us and uh, my ranting about Anasui. Hope you love him as much as I do. If you don't, let us know. Or if you do, let us know. We want to hear- be raving, not ranting? Oh yeah, raving. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, more positive spin rounded, <laughs> raving about Anasui. Um, let us know your thoughts about him and whether or not you are taking a liking to him with this initial introduction. Because again, he does come on strong. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. We appreciate you so, so much. Subscribe to Strictly Jojo on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord to chat with us. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show, then head over to patreon.com slash the Strictly Series and tune into Strictly Anime, our other podcasts for anime reviews and discussions. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb. To be continued.